The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. A reading from the book of Exodus, chapter 7. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he's going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him. And take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood, and there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not even take this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. God, we thank you for your word, the story of your grace. The technical term is vasovagal syncope. It occurs when not enough blood gets to the brain for a limited period of time and you pass out. And one of the most common triggers which causes this response is the sight of blood. Anyone here squeamish or triggered by the presence of blood? 
It makes sense. Blood belongs in the body, not outside of it. When blood is outside of the body, the gruesome reality of death is present. Even if it's just a couple of little drops, drop to the ground, people can go. I find this physiological phenomenon very interesting because it's honestly such an appropriate response because at the sight of blood, we are confronted with our mortality. We are terminal. We are vulnerable. We are not ultimately in charge of our final destiny. The sight of blood should lead us to conclude, I'm not the one in charge here. It's almost like falling down in worship of something greater than you when you pass out at the sight of blood. But there's another response to blood we see in Exodus 7, an inappropriate response, a response that ignores one's mortality, denies being terminal, refuses to be vulnerable, demands to be in charge of one's own destiny. It's the hard-hearted response we see in Pharaoh and in the prince of darkness, the devil, in the worldview of the world, and in anyone else who answers the question, who is the Lord with me? Today, I'm not going to mince words with you all because Exodus 7 doesn't. Exodus 7 is asking the hearers this question, who is the Lord? And if our response is anything but Jesus, we can expect swift judgment, terrorizing fear, and a requirement of our blood. Exodus 7 is the beginning of the great acts of judgment, the plagues against a sinful people, Egypt. And I want us to walk through this passage today as if we were first-hand Egyptians, maybe even first-hand pharaohs, people who might answer the question, who is the Lord with time is my Lord, or my talent is my Lord, or my status, or sex, or work, or weekends is my Lord, or people, or playstations are my Lord, my kids are my Lord, or my little kingdom is my Lord. Let's ask the question of who is the Lord in Exodus 7. And if today you hear his voice, the voice of Jesus, let him break your heart. We'll break the chapter up into three parts, all in response to that single question, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? Number one, he is a just ruler over all. Who is the Lord? Number two, he's to be feared above all. And who is the Lord? Number three, he demands the blood of a guilty all. First, who is the Lord? He's a just ruler over all. See this in verses 1 to 7. How do these verses display a just ruler? Let's start with his rule. In verse 1, he declares, He will make Moses like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, Moses' prophet. What does that mean? It means Moses is going to serve as a face-to-face representative of God on earth. How is he going to do that? By ruling over all of the created order, with these great acts of judgment. Like Genesis 1, when God says, let there be light, when Moses says, let there be serpents or blood or gnats or darkness or boils, it will be so. Egyptian gods were believed to be multiple and responsible for all kinds of aspects of creation, but the Lord will demonstrate through Moses that he alone is the ruler over all creation. Through this one man, God as one person, alone is ruler over all creation. And Pharaoh knows that no God speaks directly to his people. He sends a mouthpiece or a prophet to speak for him. Enter Aaron. In being ruler over all creation, what happens when God's rule, his authority, is ignored, disregarded, or rebelled against? Justice. With God, the punishment perfectly and exactly fits the crime. All of the great acts of judgment of verse 4, which are going to come through Moses' proclamation and Aaron's prophecy, fit the Egyptians' crime against the Lord. And the Lord begins with a judgment on Pharaoh's heart. 
Verse 3 says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. At first, this might appear cruel, not just. Why would God actively make a man's heart hard? He hasn't. It already is. What God is communicating in hardening Pharaoh's heart is the Lord's just judgment. Whenever you see God's hand of judgment, it comes in God fairly giving people what they want. God hardening Pharaoh's heart is an active passivity. I'm going to leave it the way it already is. Augustine puts it this way, I shall harden God's heart is as if God is saying, I shall show you how hard his heart is. Why does a just ruler do this? To show that the Lord is fair and to show that the Lord's mercy alone is able to break and soften hearts. All of our hearts, apart from the mercy of God, are equally as heavy and cement-like as Pharaoh's. From the fall of Adam, we have answered the question, who is the Lord, with a strong, not you. And the only catalyst which causes us to answer that question with the name of Jesus is the mercy and compassion of God. There's a phrase in seminary we learned to describe guys who newly discovered Reformed theology and Calvinism and the concept of God's sovereign election. Whereas Romans 9.18 describes God as the one to decide who he shows mercy to and who he will remain hardened. These guys want to go around spreading the word about the fact that God is the one in charge of salvation and you better believe in predestination or you're missing out on a true picture of the true God. R.C. Sproul called it this cage stage. These men needed to be kept in a cage for a while because they hurt people by portraying God as a cold picture of sovereign election with little discussion of his life-changing mercy. I probably should have been caged for a few months after reading the book Chosen by God because this newfound knowledge can be rooted in pride. But if we really understood God's sovereign mercy, that we all begin with Pharaoh-like hearts and only the Lord is the one who breaks those hearts, then what should come out of us is not, I believe in God's sovereign choosing, why don't you? But instead, God softened my heart with his mysterious love. And I responded, I don't know why God chose me of all the people he showed mercy to, but he did, and I love it, and I love him for it. This should also impact our perspective on evangelism. Friends, the majority of people you ask the question, who is the Lord, are going to respond like Pharaoh. If Jesus' success in ministry was based on his conversion rate of those he led to himself while he was living, tell me how successful would you consider him? Pharisees hated him. Public officials mocked him. The crowd mostly deserted him. Might we better expect the rejection in evangelism like Jesus had? And trust that the only one who could change the heart is the Lord alone. Be obedient like Moses and Aaron to do just as the Lord commands, but leave the softening and the hardening of hearts to the just ruler who alone can change hearts. Be freed to ask simple evangelistic questions like these. Who are you? Where are you from? And to whom do you belong? knowing that whatever answer comes from the people we ask those questions to is not up to your ninja evangelism skill, but it's up to the just ruler of all who decides whose heart he breaks and whose heart he leaves hardened. Next, who is the Lord? He's to be feared above all. Verses 8 to 13. The next several chapters of Exodus are all indicators of the condition of a sinner's hard heart or Pharaoh's hard heart. And it begins with snakes. Why? 
Because what do snakes do when we hear about snakes? They generate us in us this fear. If I threw a snake into the congregation right now, what would happen? Everyone would freak out. Snakes are fear-inducing creatures able to kill with a quick and impulsive bite of their fangs. The Egyptians considered the snake a representative of Pharaoh's authority as God, which should give us a clear connection to who Pharaoh's boss is, the prince of darkness himself, the serpent himself, the devil. The people were terrified of snakes, and they were terrified of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's inauguration into office as Pharaoh included these words, O fiery snake, let there be terror of me like the terror of thee. So Pharaoh asks for a sign of the Lord's power, and the first thing God asks Moses and Aaron to do is throw down the staff on the ground, and what happens to it? It becomes a snake. Why? To challenge Pharaoh's authority. The Lord is not only waging war against Pharaoh, he's waging war against the forces of darkness. Game on, serpent. Pharaoh orders his magicians to come up with a rabbit-out-of-the-hat illusion which imitates but never replicates what happened with the Lord's staff. But the Lord's miraculous power swallows up every other substitute work. Swallowing in the Egyptian culture was the way to acquire something's power. So for Pharaoh's snakes to be swallowed up by the Lord, this was a testament that the only one who should be feared is the Lord. What did it do to Pharaoh's heart then? It remained dead and deaf, untouched by the fear of the Lord. Halloween is a time of year that capitalizes upon fear. We love to be scared at Halloween because we know it's not real. One year for trick-or-treating, before we had kids, I cleaned out our large recycling bin and I put myself in it along with a basket full of candy. And as I peeked through the little slit in the bin and the trick-or-treaters made their way to the door, I would pop out and scream. But I was discerning. The only ones I wanted to scare were the ones who needed scaring. The teenage boys who were out without costumes, just their hoodies, had their pillowcases next to them and their girlfriends next to them, and they were just loading up with lots of candy. They were the ones who needed to be afraid. And so out I would jump, and out they would scream and pretend like nothing really happened. But I remember, as I would do this, a little girl that came up to the recycling bin who was dressed up like a little brown mushroom. As she's making her way to the door, I made sure to come out really slowly and hand her the candy because I could see in her eyes a healthy fear that something was bigger than her. And she just motioned to me, go back down. This is the difference between hard, unhearing hearts and softened hearts. The hard hearts are the teenage boys who are all about themselves and pretend they're not afraid. They needed more fear. The soft hearts was this little mushroom, this little girl who knew herself to be so much smaller than whatever was coming out of that recycling bin. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowing we are sinners in the hands of a just ruler who has the right and authority to send us to a fiery, dreadful, terrifying pit of hell, we need to treat him with the respect his serpent-swallowing power deserves rather than approach him casually and irreverently. We, like the little mushroom girl, need to have a go-back-down, wide eyes. That is to say, is there any way you could ease up on how easily, Lord, you could devastate me? He demands the fear 
and to be feared above all. Finally, who is the Lord? He demands the blood of a guilty all. Verses 14 to 25. The first judgment against Pharaoh's and Egypt's false gods begins in the water of the Nile. The Nile River was considered the source of an Egyptian's life. It brought bounty to the people's crops by the water, making their soil rich with nutrients. Several of the Egyptian gods were river gods, Osiris, Nu, and Happy, whose name is praised as the giver of life. One hymn to this happy sings, Hail to you, happy, who creates every sort of good thing. Everything that has come into being is through your power. We might equate the Nile River then to electricity now. Imagine what would happen if, in an instant, the entire modern world had no electricity. Batteries would only last so long. Food supplies only last so long. What would happen if we lost all electricity? It would be complete chaos. This is what the Lord does to the Nile through Moses. As God to Pharaoh and Aaron as the mouthpiece prophet, by this sign you will know who is the Lord. God's first great act of judgment against a ruler and against a people who murdered the Lord as their giver of life and replaced him with river gods was to cut off their electricity, if you will, their supply. How does he do that? With blood. Blood inside of the body brings life, just like the Nile River as a creation of the Creator brings life. But blood outside of the body means death, like attempting to find life outside of the life giver is death. Egypt was painted in colors of death, as blood was everywhere. Not just in the river, but in the canals, the ponds, the pools, even vessels of wood and stone. The wood and stone that was used to make idols of these river gods was now filled with blood. Egypt looked like death. Egypt smelled like death. Egypt even tasted like death for a full week, seven days. Why seven full days? That's God's statement of an ironic judgment against taking his creation week and plagiarizing it as some other God's work. What you see then are people passing out all over in the heat. There's nothing to drink. There's little left to eat. Pharaoh's cowardly magicians magically used some ancient red 40 to convince Pharaoh this was all a show. And as his people, the Egyptians, the pitiful Egyptians dig in the dirt to attempt to stay alive, Pharaoh casually and flippantly turns his back and goes inside of his house. What a picture of the enemy of your soul's love for the people who serve him. He has no love, no compassion, no care. I remember several years ago, my dad had to have an emergency surgery to have a tracheotomy because his airway was blocked due to a mishap in surgery. And I remember going to see him just following his surgery and walking to, into his recovery room a little too soon. Why too soon? His room was completely spattered in blood. The overburdened staff didn't have time to get to him just yet, so as he woke up from surgery, every time he would cough, out of his trach would spurt blood. The walls were covered. The floor was covered. My dad was covered. I can still picture the horrible scene and how it broke my heart to see this. Instead of having a pharaoh reaction of turning and walking away, the Lord gave me the grace to go into his room. Why? Because I love my dad. 
I didn't want this to be his reality. I wanted him cleaned up. I wanted what surrounded him cleaned up. This is the posture of the Lord, a just ruler who's to be feared above all, who demands blood from us all, but one who doesn't turn and go into his house to leave us to our bloody mess like Pharaoh did. Never, never. The source of life, Jesus Christ, allows the great act of judgment for sin, the bloody mess we've made, to be put upon him and taken off of us. And like the crowds who were pleading for Pilate to put Jesus to death shouted, Let his blood be upon us and our children. Jesus' blood held no guilt within it. Innocent blood shed to cleanse the hearts of a blood-guilty people. To deliver them out of digging our way to hell. Jesus who would swallow up not only the serpent's attempt to erase his ministry, but who would, by his death, swallow up death forever in his resurrection. Who is the Lord? Jesus is the Lord. Some practical applications to take with you. First, let the just ruler be the Lord of your words and your ways. If today you hear Jesus' voice, do not let your heart stay hard. Remember the mercy he showed to your hard and heavy heart. Do just as the Lord has commanded you. Live justly and fairly to everyone you encounter. Love showing mercy like mercy's been shown you. Walk humbly with your God. Let him measure you with his perfect ruler and find you lacking. Let your sin break your heart. Let the great act of judgment on the cross leave you thankful, not prideful. Give up the need to be right in that situation. Let your broken heart be what God and others see, and he will draw near to you. Give up trying to change other people's hearts with your words and ask that the Lord would change their heart with his word. Secondly, let the Lord who is to be feared above all lead you not to be afraid. Jesus has swallowed up death and sin for you. No longer live in the shadow and fear of being found out or being found guilty. The one who is to be feared above all has promised those who put their faith and trust in his shepherding rod and shepherding staff have absolutely nothing to fear. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are not towering in judgment over me. You're right beside me, Jesus. I can face bully bosses, prideful people, suffering circumstances, even the blood of death itself, knowing you have victoriously conquered my heart. Finally, let the Lord who demands blood for a guilty all, for your murder of his name, be the one who continues to intercede for you when blood falls once again on your hands. Embrace the enemy Pharaoh's accusation that you'll never be good enough with. Amen and preach it. I won't be. You're right. Jesus is the only one able to save me. And be willing to walk into the rooms of other people's guilt with the extending mercy of Christ's scarred hands and feet. Offer to them a deliverer whose living water will always remain pure. How they respond to your offer Whether with a breaking of heart or a hardening, let the Lord be the one who decides where his mercy falls. You be the one to fall worshiping at the sight of his cleansing blood. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do pray that you would help us to answer the question, who is the Lord? 
with Jesus, the just ruler over all of us, who reached beyond justice and extended to us mercy, that he is to be feared above all, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess he is Lord. And Lord, we pray that you would keep us mindful and reverently fearful of who Jesus is and what he's done, that we are not the Lord above all. We are not the ones to be feared above all, that sin is not to be feared above all, that rulers and bullies are not to be feared above all, but that Jesus is to be feared above all. And in dying for us and giving us life, we no longer need to be afraid of God because we have access to the Father through Christ. Help us in our fear to go to Christ and find in him all of our fears relieved. And finally, we pray that you would remind us that the blood of us, guilty all, has been put upon Jesus, that we have been cleansed by that blood We've been washed by that blood, so we are now clean to drink the living water of your Spirit. Help us to be a Spirit-filled people, drinking regularly from your Word, from the good news that we have been given grace, we have been cleansed, and we are free from the oppression of Pharaoh or the devil. Help us to walk in that newness of life, and help us extend that mercy and that cup of cool water to those who are still living under the slavery of the world, the devil, and their flesh. And help us, Father, as we proclaim your freedom, as we proclaim the work that you've done, that we leave the softening and the hardening of hearts to you. Keep us humble in our evangelism. Keep us diligent in our evangelism, but also diligent to allow the outcomes to be in your hands, your faithful, merciful, capable hands. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.